Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I am Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa for a bonus Feels Like 45 this week. Dustin, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've done two in one week, huh? Yeah, uh, you're welcome, everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a monumental sacrifice. No, I'm just kidding. We're happy to do this. This is phenomenal. <laughs> um, love getting to talk with you twice in one week. Um, and it is a special Wish occasion. I could say the same. Yeah, me too. I wish you could say the same about <laughs> me, no doubt about it. Um, but it is a special occasion. We are continuing our conference foe preview. And we've got Jamie Plunkett with Frogs today on the podcast. Jamie, welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me on. I, I think I'm the reason you're recording twice in one week, so I want to apologize for that. At least apologize to Dustin and c- congratulate Kate, I guess. Yeah, well, hey, there's <laughs> there's a little bit in it for us, too. So don't don't really lose too much sleep over that. So don't worry, Jamie, you're good. We're, we're just glad you're on. We, we were looking forward to having you and glad we could make it work. I mean, it, it, kids are going to be kids, you know, so. Children going to children. That's right. Well, hey, I mean, let's just kick it off. I mean, Jamie, obviously riding with frogs today with Melissa uh, Tribwasser. I hope I got that right. But we go back. I mean, back we were talking about it off air um, back in our SB Nation days formerly. So there's some history here and it's uh, it's exciting to have you on. But let's just get right into it. I mean, TCU is a very interesting program right now. Normally so, normally top half of the Big 12 contending. Um, so that makes them interesting by default. But obviously, I mean, the, the big storyline to me is Gary Patterson out, Sonny Dykes in. And so, Jamie, let's just kick it off this way. How, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, what is this, July 21st about the Sonny Dykes era? What's your, you know, off-season lingering thought that you had? You know, I, I don't know that many – uh, TCU fans that are my age and younger really even remember an era where there wasn't uh, a head coach at TCU not named Gary Patterson. I really backed myself into a grammatical corner there. But uh, <laughs> when you're talking about TCU football, Gary Patterson is synonymous with TCU football. And this is the first season in over 20 years that he won't be on the sidelines for the Horn Frogs. And so there were a lot of mixed emotions throughout last fall when he parted ways with the school. And obviously now that he's down in Austin at UT, uh, there's a, por- a portion of the fan base that's really annoyed and frustrated with that and thinks we should take the statue down. There's another portion of the fan base that it's like, well, you know, he chose to leave and we didn't really want him here anymore. So he can do what he wants. Um, I think I find myself somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, really good memories there with what he was able to do for the Horn Frogs for the, as a program and, and frankly for the university and for the city of Fort Worth. Uh, TCU is not where it is today or what it is today without Gary Patterson coming through and doing all that he did. So you have to tip your cap to him at the end of the day. But uh, as far as Sonny Dykes is concerned, uh, you know, his name started to surface pretty early on in the coaching search. He seemed like a reasonable fit being just down the road at SMU, obviously having big 12 ties from coaching as an assistant at Texas tech. And obviously his dad coaching at Texas tech as well. Um, And I think there was a segment of the fan base that really wanted a more 
broad national search. But uh, to me, it always kind of felt like Dykes was going to be the guy. And so there might have been a little bit of underwhelming uh, feeling there right at the beginning, but he has done and said everything right since he got on campus. He's brought a ton of energy. He's changed the culture. He brought in a new strength and conditioning staff that has revitalized this team. They've all gained weight. You know, you look at the weight listings across the board on the roster, everyone's up 15 to 20 pounds at the very least, which I think uh, was one of the things that was lacking, especially defensively for TCU in the last few years. They were just undersized. Uh, and so there's been a culture shift in the short time that he's been here. The guys are bigger and stronger. Uh, and it seems like um, things are starting to trend in the right direction off the field. Now, he hasn't won a game yet. He also hasn't lost a game yet. So, you know, he's got a lot of chips in his bag still. Um, but we'll see We'll see how the favor stands when, when he gets into the season come, you know, the November, early December, right around there. I mean, so many similarities between what Gary Patterson did for TCU and what Mike Gundy's done for Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. I really think they're kindred spirits in that regard and seeing how – you know, Gary Patterson left, not really how, but just the fact that he did. And then seeing TCU go through this search for a new coach and find a Sonny Dykes, it's, it's easy to imagine Oklahoma State in a similar situation and making a similar choice. I mean, I thought Sonny Dykes was the guy at the beginning as well, and it seems like they've found him. Um, and also, I wanted to go back. So what you're saying is keep the statue maybe etch a longhorn into the, into the shirt. What do you, what are you thinking there? No, just make him, make him do a little horns down, you know? Oh, okay. Got it. Throw a little shade in that direction. Got it. Well, I mean, the Sunday Dyke system is, is super interesting. And I think the big 12 as a whole is going to look a lot different. I mean, Dustin, I'll kick it over to you kind of for the discussion on that end. I mean, we've, we've yeah. got several things to get into about that. Yeah. I mean, Jamie, you mentioned new faces. You talked about the strength and conditioning coach and one of those other new faces along with Sonny Dykes and Cage talking about the offense is Garrett Riley. We know Sonny Dykes is a how mummy, a Mike Leach guy, air raid guy. Garrett Riley has been known to utilize that vertical passing game as well. Doug Meacham's also an air raid type guy as well. So what, I mean, what do you think changes on this offense schematically? Do you think there's going to be a big shift are fans really going to be able to tell I, I was able to watch the spring game uh there was a replay of it on youtube and it looked like it was a lot of 10 to 11 personnel a lot of tight ends split off the line of scrimmage out wide i i don't remember seeing a ton of that last year but just kind of what do you think is going to be different about this offense i I think you're absolutely right in that there's going to be a lot of 10 and 11 or 11 and 12 personnel you're going to see tight ends a lot more i mean you look back at what Dykes was able to do most recently at SMU and, and with Grant Calcaterra, the transfer from Oklahoma that came in and, and was incredibly dominant at the tight end position. Uh, and, and really this is a, this is an offense that passes to open up the run. I mean, he's had good running backs everywhere he's been. And I think at TCU, he's got the talent, especially when you talk about Quentin Johnston at, at wide receiver and uh, Kendrick uh, Kendra Miller at running back to have some sort of balanced offense in that sense. Now, tight end is obviously a huge question mark at TCU because they've neglected that position for uh, when did Gary Patterson start again? Because that's just never been <laughs> a part of this offense, right? And so uh, I think the breath of fresh air that Dykes and, and that Riley have brought in is that they're going to design an offense that is favorable for the quarterback that ends up starting. And they're going to do their best to put the ball in the hands of their playmakers, which means Quentin Johnston, which we have seen glimpses of what he's capable of these last few years, especially in that Oklahoma game last year where he put up like 240 receiving yards and mossed a couple guys along the way. <laughs> uh, and then Kendra Miller, who shared the backfield with Zach Evans last year, but still had over a thousand yards rushing, had 
you know, 200 yards rushing in the, in the second half against Texas tech and Lubbock uh, has, uh, is a very capable running back out of the backfield. Um, those guys are going to have bigger years because of this offensive style that they're bringing in. Now the question is quarterback. And I'm sure you guys have a question about quarterback as well. Yeah, we do. Before we get there, I, I want to uh, point out like Dustin and I were talking before you got on Jamie, I just TCU's got some dudes at the skill position. And you mentioned mm-hmm. two that I had written down in Kendrew Miller and Quentin Johnston. One that we didn't even bring up is, is Tay Barber. I mean, who was mm-hmm. uh, second team, all big 12 last year. So the pieces are there. And so it's a perfect segue into that quarterback spot is, I mean, there's, there's a battle going on right now between Max Duggan and Chandler Morrisman. What can you tell us about that? Because that's maybe one of the more interesting. Yeah. Jamie, tell us who's starting. Yeah. 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 So uh, actually, congratulations. It's both of you. You're starting for TCU quarterback (laughs) this year. Uh, So I look good in purple. I've been told. Hey, there you go. Everybody does. It's a great color. Um, (laughs) So I'll, I'll tell you this. If, if we were calling it, Three games into spring practice, I would have said Chandler Morris. If we were calling it eight games into spring or eight practices into spring practice, I would have said Max Duggan. Now that we've had an entire summer to sit on it, and based on some of the comments that Dykes has made about what he's looking for in a quarterback as far as uh, being able to be a game manager and consistent and stop making mistakes, everything that he's saying makes it sound like Max Duggan is eventually going to be the starter, named the starter for this thing. But one thing that Dykes has also consistently said over and over again is that he'll probably be the last guy to know who's the starting quarterback on this team. He says, you, you show up back for fall camp and maybe a guy or two knows, and then maybe someone starts to separate in practice. Uh, and so the offensive line starts to notice, the receiver starts to notice, the defense starts to notice, and then the assistant starts to notice, and then finally the head coach figures it out. Uh, so he, he jokingly said it at uh, Big 12 Media Days, you guys probably will know who the starting quarterback is before I do. Um, I would say a betting man's money should be on Max Duggan, but Chandler Morris isn't and by any means out of the out of the contest yet. This is fully an open quarterback competition going into the fall, and it would not surprise me if he went out and earned the job as well. Both guys have similar skill sets. Both are relatively mobile. They are mobile in different ways, though, and depending on who who uh, stands out in the fall, that's what the offense is going to look like uh, once the season gets underway. Yeah, and that's, Jamie, that's kind of what you hit on at the end. It's kind of the big question. Not only is quarterback, you know, one of the the key position on your offense, but like you said, both guys are mobile, but in different ways. If Max Duggan takes the reins, it's more of that zone read. He's got more of that, compared to someone in Oklahoma State, more of that Spencer Sanders dynamic running ability as a ball carrier, where Chandler Morris kind of makes plays with his legs. So like you said, that's a great point. It's going to kind of change how the, the offense, I think, attacks Big 12 defenses. Not that mm-hmm. the scheme so much will change, but the play calling, I think. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And and what I think was lacking in the TCU offense for the last few years was they were asking Max Duggan to do a couple different things that he wasn't specifically capable of doing. You know, they wanted him to throw that deep fade. They wanted him to stand up in the pocket and make his reads and make throws that way. When in reality, like you said, he's incredibly mobile. He's shockingly fast. I mean, we've seen a couple runs over the past few seasons where he just absolutely dusts everybody. Uh, but he's also very good at that intermediate eight to 15 yards down the field, making those passes, especially over the middle of the field. And that's just been an absence in TCU's offense for the last three or four seasons since he's been on campus. So I think if he ends up being the guy, we're going to see a lot more intermediate passing game. We're going to see a focal point 
an in, or an intent to get the ball to Quentin Johnson uh, in that area as well. Uh, and then obviously you mentioned Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Savion Williams, Quincy Brown. Like there are some dudes out at the wide receiver position on this team. And if they can get the ball in a timely manner, regardless of who's quarterback, this offense is going to be successful. Yeah. And I, you mentioned those wide receivers. I, I don't think we need to stay on quarterback all day. I think we kind of know what both these guys can do. Besides Quentin Johnson, who do you think steps up as the number two? I know we've mentioned Tay Barber's names a few times last year against Oklahoma State. I, I know that wasn't a great game for TCU, but it was not. Three catches, three, <laughs> three <laughs> catches for seventy-four yards, and if he doesn't get that one called back for him being called covered up on the line of scrimmage, right? Mm-hmm. I think he was gone for over a hundred because I think that was like a thirty-yard pass down the field. So he had a good game against Oklahoma State. I'm sure Oklahoma State fans remember him. But is, is he kind of the guy that's number two behind Quentin Johnson? I don't know if there's necessarily a number two that's defined at this point. He would be one of the guys in that category for sure. Uh, but along with uh, Darius Davis, I think would be the other guy whose name comes up. Both they're similar build, similar style wide yep. receiver, really kind of a nice uh, counter to what Quentin Johnson offers you uh, with his size and, and leaping ability and, and that kind of downfield threat. Um, but beyond them too, there are two names that – probably nobody has circled on a TCU roster that I think are going to give folks fits this year. First is Gunnar Henderson, who fits this kind of Cole Beasley style mold that uh, SMU has cranked out for years and years and years. He was a walk-on. He got put on scholarship this spring. And every time I have talked to someone in TCU secondary or an assistant coach, Gunnar Henderson is the name that comes up as the guy who is hardest for them to scheme to defend. He is incredibly fast. He's that same smaller style, speedy kind of water bug uh, wide receiver. But Gunnar Henderson is a name for people to remember. And then a freshman, uh, two freshmen actually that are coming in. Uh, we've got Jordan Hudson and DJ Allen, two four-star kids who have been uh, who have not gotten on campus yet, but are from everything that I've been told going to be um, in the mix for some playing time really early on in their careers. So you have a really nice balance ultimately of these senior leadership and Barbara and Darius Davis and, you know, Quentin Johnson, who's a junior, not a, not a senior. And then some of these younger guys that are coming in and are probably going to get in the mix pretty early too. I'm really interested in, in uh, Jordan Hudson, that name you mentioned, the freshman coming in. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a name I've been hearing about if I, whether I've seen it on frogs today or PFF's college football preview or any of the other previews, his name seems to keep popping up. So that uh, that'll be one I'm really interested in. And along with them, we kind of talked about it already, but the tight end being maybe more prevalent in this Sonny Dykes offense. I know we talked about how Gary Patterson's teams didn't really have the, have that dynamic tight end or didn't really kind of put a lot of emphasis into it, but who's somebody that steps out there. I know the Nunzio had the one big catch against uh, Oklahoma state last year. They've got yeah. what the transfer from Texas, Jared Wiley. Mm-hmm. It, who, who do you think are the main one or two guys there that kind of stand out or is it going to be a rotation? It's definitely going to be a rotation. I think at least at the beginning of the year, while some of these guys get used to the reps that are going to come the tight ends way. Uh, Jorquarius Spivey is another kid that I think should be on people's watch list. He's a transfer from Mississippi state who had a really good spring. Uh, and then former German quarterback uh, recruit, Alex Honig has now transitioned over into tight end and he is freaking huge. He's like six, six two fifty, And he had a couple really nice one handed catches over the middle and spring ball uh, was fun to watch him kind of transition into that position. But, you know, if there was one name I think to watch for, I think I would say Spivey 
Uh, Jared Wiley was a little bit banged up, didn't actually practice a ton this spring. So we'll see how he's feeling in the fall. Um, but uh, I think Spivey is the, is the one guy to, to watch and then maybe Wiley and uh, Honig and, and a handful of others as well. I'm a little jealous of, of TCU's tight ends, just for the record. They, they've got a couple of guys out there that I think Oklahoma State would love to have right about now. Some beefy guys. Yeah, honestly, sure. though, with, with the state of some things, you might see one or two of them on the offensive line here before too long. <laughs> we really can relate to quite a bit, can't we? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, every time Dykes has been asked about the offensive line uh, since he's been on campus, he's like, well, you know, we've got some guys that can play multiple positions and we're just really going to put the best five guys on the field. And and it's like, no, coach, I asked you about tackles. I asked you yeah. about left and right tackle and you didn't even say any names. You're just listing off, you know, kind of theoretical bodies at this point. So we'll see. We'll see what the offensive look, line looks like come uh, come fall ball. Yeah, Jamie, you talked about – so we basically covered – quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends. We talked about Max Duggan being able to kind of operate in the middle of the field. Do you see any issues? You know Sonny Dykes likes to push the ball, especially Garrett Riley. They like to push the ball down the field. I think TCU struggled at times with that last year. Quentin Johnson is a guy you could just kind of throw it up to, but Mm -hmm. do you think there are going to be some issues either with either quarterback at that kind of getting the ball downfield, that vertical passing game? Yeah, I mean, you know, we kind of know who Max Duggan is at this point, and that's one of his uh, growing edges still is is his accuracy downfield. Uh, we've seen that since he was a freshman, right? And so he has improved in a couple different ways. That's really not one of them. Now maybe it takes a guy like uh, Garrett Riley coming in and really helping him work on his mental game and, and you know, kind of hone in on uh, that passing, that area of his passing game as well. Who knows? Chandler is similar. He doesn't really have the strongest arm on the planet, but again, they're going to customize the offense for whoever the starting quarterback ends up being. So it might, might be that that's just not a prevalent um, aspect of the offense. And they're going to focus more on that intermediate passing their screen game and, and getting the ball uh, into running backs hands in creative ways as well, obviously using the tight end and that sort of thing. Um, but as far as, as far as the deep threat is concerned, we know that Quentin's able to get downfield and get open. It's just a matter of how frequently they're going to use him in that way. Uh, I think that uh, one of the downsides of TCU's offense the past few years is they've really limited the roles of their wide receivers. Uh, They've had a guy who's, all right, you're our deep threat. All right, you're our guy over the middle. All right, you're our guy in screens. And it's really easy for defenses to pick up on that. Um, But everything that I've heard out of this new coaching staff on both sides of the ball has been about versatility and flexibility. And so I think we're going to see – Quentin Johnston used in a quite a, a few different ways. He's already, I mean, he was lining up in the slot more than I'd ever seen it just in spring ball. So I can't imagine what they've got in their back pocket come actual season. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it might just end up being that that's not a major player in TCU's offense, at least early on in the season. Yeah. Jamie, one thing we've kind of not tiptoed around, but definitely sideswiped is the loss of Zach Evans. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think TCU has one of the more underrated running back rooms in the conference today. Um, with Zach Evans, though, you could make the case that they had one of the best. And so how, how does TCU expect to replace that loss? We talked a little bit about Kendrick Miller. I think uh, DeMarcado is one of the more underrated running backs in all of college football. He's, he's, he's the only healthy one last year against and i us. think and yeah. i think we had a chance to see that and i was like okay i really like this guy but you almost had in zach evans um kendry miller and Mercado, you almost had three styles of running backs and so mm-hmm. my question to to wrap this up finally is is how does tcu deal with the loss of zach evans 
I, you know, I think it's, it's just the Kendra Miller is going to be the guy and he's going to get some, some breaks at some point. I, Kendra Miller is the style of running back that can handle the ball 20 to 25 times a game uh, and run you over and get four to six yards of carry and just be a really dominant kind of ball ball hog running back. I don't know that they're going to give him that much run, um, but he is going to be the focal point in the backfield for sure. Now you've got Imari Di Mercado, who I'm glad you guys think really highly of him. I like him a lot. He's a good kid. He's the best pass blocking running back on TCU's roster. And he has been for like three years now. So credit to him for that. Um, I don't know. His mother's probably not going to listen to this episode, but man, <laughs> the amount of times that I've been told he should be the starter is ridiculous. Anyways, uh, but you've also got a couple guys coming in too. You've got uh, Corey Wren, who's a transfer from Florida State. who's going to be really heavy in the kick return game. He's probably going to see a little bit of time back there as well. And he's going to be a really nice kind of change of pace guy uh, in the backfield. And you've got a freshman out of Amarillo and Major Everhart who is probably going to be capable of coming in and getting some play right away as well. I know I've mentioned freshmen as a wide receiver uh, and running back now, but that's really the case, you know, and and I think with the new coaching staff coming in, they've opened this up and said the best players are going to play. Uh, and if you figure it out quickly as a freshman, you're still going to be able to contribute. And so Major Everhart's another kid who I think can, can step in and contribute right away. Um, but I really do think Kendra is going to be the feature back in this offense. Dustin, before yeah. we flip over to the defensive side, I, I'm sorry, I actually just stepped on you. Dustin, go ahead if you got a question. I was just going to bring it back right before we got the defense. And, Kate, if you have one more question on offense, we talked about the running backs now. I feel like we need to get back to the guys you mentioned, the offensive line. Jamie, you kind of laid it out perfectly <laughs> earlier to what I've been seeing when I've been reading about TCU and just from what I saw last year. I think every single preseason magazine review – or preview article, anything like that has a different depth chart for the offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows where anybody's playing. I know they've got, uh, what is it? Uh, Alan Ali came over from TCU with, or from SMU with, with Dykes. Mm -hmm. There's uh, Coker's a guy, I think that could play tack, like play a tackle, but is there, is there any studs on this offensive line? I, I know they've got experience there, I think they should be better than last season, but are they still the biggest worry of the offense? I don't think there's any question that the offensive line is the biggest concern at this point in the season. Uh, if I had to guess right now, gun to my head, what the starting offensive line would look like, I think I'd say Brandon Coleman at left tackle. Oh, let's see. John Lands probably at left guard. You have Steve Avila at center. You have Alan Lee at right guard, and then you have Andrew Coker at right tackle. I'm pretty sure we're going to see some iteration of those five guys on the offensive line to start the season, whether that ends up being Avila guard and Ali at center. I'm not exactly sure, but I know that uh, Steve is, is a Remington guy or like a watch list guy and has been the last few years. So, but he, he's capable of playing all three inside line positions. And, and that's, that's when you start to get into these questions with Dykes too, where he's like, well, we've got Steve who can play three positions and we've got Ali who can play a couple <laughs> positions and Lance can play either guard. And it's like, no, I want just, 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 just the facts, just one time, just the facts. Uh, but I understand why he's being coy about it because he probably doesn't really know. He's going to have to wait until a uh, fall ball plays out to, to figure out who his starting five are. Um, but if, if it gun to my head, I'd say those five uh, with, maybe Marcus Williams pushing Brandon Coleman for that left tackle spot. Marcus Williams is kind of the offensive lineman number six right now. Uh, and you know how every coach will say, well, we really want to have seven or eight. 
that we can count on. I think I think you'd say TCU has six right about now. That's more than Oklahoma State, I think, can say they have right now. <laughs> at what position? Third. At what position? Nobody knows. But he's got six bodies. So it's pretty good. We can relate to a lot of the things you're saying here. Uh, you know, Dustin, before we do move on, uh, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast is coming back i mean you know, I think the big storyline here, I think actually Oklahoma State and TCU have some similarities offensively. The skill talent is there. It's if they can bottle the quarterback play, get some consistent offensive line play. I think we can relate a lot to that. One thing I'm curious about from your end, Jamie, you know, let's talk defense for a minute because I think from TCU standard, it would, would it be safe to say that that was a 2021 was an underwhelming year defensively for the Horn Frogs? I mean, when you look back on Gary Patterson's legacy as a head coach, defense is what comes to mind first. And he prided himself on having TCU defenses that were going to not only smother you, but really make you suffer while they were shutting you down. I mean, we see, uh, you know, the, the stats that always come back are the three number one rated defenses in the country in the span of five years as they were going to the Fiesta Bowl, going to the Rose Bowl, doing that kind of stuff in the, in the late uh, late 2010s and and then you've got these defenses that have come out uh you know the 2014 peach bowl team that's a defense that i think will always come front of mind uh for tcu fans they have the debate which team which defense was better the rose bowl team defense or the or the peach bowl defense and i think a lot of people might even say the peach bowl defense was uh and then you've seen him put defenders in the league as well guys like jason barrett uh guys now like trey merrig over at uh, with the raiders um, mm. Guys that are just dudes in the league. Um, you've got, you know, uh, David Hawthorne, who played in the, on the Bills for, you know, 12 years. Jerry Hughes, another guy that's been in the league for forever on that side of the ball. You know, you've got Jason Phillips with the Texans at linebacker, just like Ross Blacklock with the Texans, like guys all oh, over yeah. the league on the defensive side of the ball. And then last year, they gave up 200 rushing yards in six games, um, which is just something we have never seen at TCU since Gary Patterson had gotten on campus. Uh, so, yeah, I think saying that it was underwhelming uh, is, is hitting the nail on the head. Well, I mean, it, it really came apparent and, and you mentioned it. I mean, Oklahoma state ran, ran all over TCU and, mm -hmm. and not to throw salt in the wound. I only pointed out because Oklahoma state 
wasn't an over-the-top efficient running offense last year. There were games they really were over-the-top efficient, and you could throw TCU in that mix. And so, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd love to start on the defensive line because O'Shawn Mathis was one of the best players in the conference last year. Mm-hmm. He's now in Nebraska. I mean, let's talk about that defensive line for a second. Give us the guys up, up there who are going to make an impact. And, you know, again, kind of like Zach Evans, how do they replace O'Shawn Mathis up front? Well, Oshan, Oshan is an interesting case because, you know, he was a guy that the coaching staff wanted to keep around. He was a guy that Dykes wanted on this defense that, um, uh, you know, everybody wanted to have stick around. He was a leader on this thing last year. Uh, but the reality is, is that he kind of fell into the same trap that every TCU defender has fallen into the last couple of years. And that's, you know, Gary Patterson has always been focused on speed. Speed is first in his mind when it comes to, to what makes you a strong defense. And uh, I think ever since Kenny Hill left that 2017 team that, that went to the big 12 championship and, and beat Stanford in the Alamo bowl, uh, we've seen a steady decline in two things. We've seen a steady decline in the si- average size of a TCU defender. And we've seen a steady decline in how effective the defense has been. And I think maybe there was a little bit of an overcorrection there towards speed uh, and mm. not paying as much attention to size. And Oshan fell into that same trap. He was pretty small for a defensive end, even, even one as effective as, as he's been. And I've seen pictures of him now that he's been up in Lincoln and the dude looks gigantic. They got he's massive. Him, they gave him like a whole 13 by nine of cornbread on his first day there or something. And just said, oh, yeah. eat this. Um, <laughs> but you know, when you, when you talk about replacing him, uh, the name that comes to mind is, is Dylan Horton. He was on the other side of the line uh, from Oshan last year, actually had a better year than Oshan did last year. And he's bulked up. He's gained about 25 pounds. Uh, so he's been one of the focal points of the strength and conditioning uh, team to say, we're going to feed you so much, so much carbs, all the carbs you could possibly want. Uh, and we're going to do it right before and right after practice. So you feel like crap, but it's going to help you in the long run. Um, it's so funny, just on a side note, the strength and conditioning ca- uh, staff is making these guys eat breakfast in front of them and eat lunch in front of them every day. They're providing them two meals and they're watching them eat. And then they're saying, go, go get more. If they don't think they've eaten enough yet. Jamie, so was that, that an in issue? And of itself, yeah, that was an issue. Like these guys were not eating. These guys were not eating. And I'm not going to say too much on this podcast just because sure, sure, reasons, sure. but uh, there was a major issue with strength and conditioning at TCU. It stemmed from a couple of different areas. And so just the fact that these guys are getting fed is huge. The fact that they're having uh, requirements for what they're having as they walk off the practice field, they either have to eat a protein bar or drink a protein shake. They have to show proof that they've eaten it or drank it. And they have to throw it away in front of the coaches there, that kind of thing. That has been a game changer in the seven months that Sonny Dykes has been on campus. I'm not kidding when I say every guy is bigger and for the That's first really time, for the first time in almost a decade, we haven't seen TCU come out of spring ball with a major injury. And you almost just think of strength and conditioning and nutrition as a prerequisite for power five football. Like if you don't have mm-hmm. that, you don't have a great football team or a very physical football team. And I wouldn't even say that about TCU. I think for their size, they were physical, but we're getting down the rabbit hole here. I mean, yeah. I want to flip it over to you. Talk a little bit about the secondary. Cause I mean, Travis well, Tomlinson. Well, I don't think, I don't think I answered the full question there. So oh, if we well, want to go, yeah, no, let's we, do it. If we want to go back to that. So Dylan Horton is a guy who's gained a ton of weight and looks really good at defensive end. And a name to remember is Dominic Williams. He's a freshman. He is a, he was an early enrollee this spring. He was a f- signing day flip, uh, early signing day flip uh, from Cal. 
he came to campus at 17 years old and I want to get this right. So I'm going to find his, his uh, name on the roster and tell you his stats because the first time I saw him, I just started laughing. I just started laughing because he was so freaking big and I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that he was 17 years old. Uh, where is the, where are the nose tackles on this thing? Hang on, please hold. Uh, there he is. Uh, he's six two three twenty five. He was 17 oh, years geez. old when he got on campus. That's pretty 6'2", 325, and he's lost weight. He's a huge boy, uh, and he has come in and is immediately kind of in the running for the starting job at Nose Tackle, and uh, you'll see him making some significant plays this year. He's number 52 if you're, if you're looking for that. Those are two guys on the defensive line that I think are uh, the TCU is really going to depend on uh, this year. Before, before we get to the secondary kid, I just wanted to spend a second on the linebackers because, Jamie – Four two five. That's what we know from Gary Patterson. And now mm-hmm. you're going to that Joe Gillespie three three five, which kind of similar to Iowa State's setup on defense. I, when I was writing for Pistols Firing, I actually wrote about Joe Gillespie's defense in a in a film breakdown. So is that going to be weird with three true linebackers out there for the first Look, a long time? I, yeah, I mean, it was weird the first time I stepped out. Uh, well, first of all, it was weird that I went to a spring practice this spring. Second of all, it was very weird to see that extra linebacker out there roaming around. But, uh, you know, I think what Gillespie has preached a lot since he's been on campus, uh, I've had a couple chances to sit down and talk to him. He's an incredible human being, uh, but he is he is preaching versatility. So, you know, he's talking to these linebackers and he's saying there might be a a time where you drop back and and you're an extra safety. And he's talking to the safeties. There might be a time where you come up and you're an extra linebacker. So it's less about what position you're playing and what, and and it's more about what your role is on any given play. Um, But yeah, these linebackers, man, this room is, is looking pretty strong when you've got uh, D winters coming back. You know, I've I've talked about waking a few times. He played at 210 last year, guys at 235 now, right. he just looks way bigger and 235 is still not very big for a linebacker but he's much bigger you've got johnny hodges who's the navy transfer who's a big dude as well and then you've got marcel brooks who i love so dearly uh he's former five-star recruit went to lsu out of high school transferred to tcu after a year because he's from fort worth um and he freely admitted come spring practice, the last coaching staff didn't know what to do with me is what he said, uh, because they didn't, he couldn't pick up Gary's defense. So they moved him to wide receiver and he just wasn't going to break through at wide receiver because they had him playing behind Quentin Johnston. And so now he's back on defense. He's back at linebacker and he had probably one of the three best spring practices of any or spring games, spring seasons of any TCU defender. And I mean, he's bigger, he's faster mentally he's completely there he's locked in uh, he called joe gillespie his spirit animal uh during one post uh, practice interview and he just says we just connect on a different level uh, i love that guy desperately and you can see it you can see it in the way that he is around his teammates the way that he is at practice uh that just wasn't there before dykes and company got on on staff so uh, the linebacker room i think is probably one of the stronger units on this whole team uh, because of the depth and the senior leadership that they have in that room. Yeah, what a, I mean, what a great story. It's it's good to know. I mean, they've got some size in that linebacker room, but really, 
What I'm curious about, I mean, I, I mentioned it just a moment ago, Travis Hodges Tomlinson is one of my favorite players in the conference. I, I think has flown under the radar. Last year really broke onto the scene, so it's tough to say that after last year. I mean, tell us a little bit about the secondary and who beyond him. I think now he's a household name in this conference. So who beyond him should we be looking out for? Uh, yeah, for, for sure. Frogs? <laughs> for sure. You know, Trey, he's got a pretty famous uncle. Uh, which always helps out in, in LT. Um, but he is, he has said from the moment he stepped on campus, I want to make a name for myself at TCU. And I think that's kind of driven him. It also helps when you're lining up uh, on the other side from uh, Quentin Johnson every day in practice, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Um, but beyond him, Noah Daniels is the other cornerback this year. He's back. He's healthy. Uh, he's ready to play. He missed a bunch of time last year. Um, and really, if you look around at a lot of NFL draft previews, Noah's name comes up as much, if not more, than Trace does as far as ability and, and uh, the way his game translates to the next level. If he is fully healthy and is back where he was uh, two years ago, uh, TCU might have the best cornerback duo in the Big 12, if not the country. Like Those are two absolute studs who are capable of locking you down but don't have to all the time in this defense, which I think is really going to help them out. And it would take some pressure off that defensive line too, if that if those two cornerbacks can can help out and mm -hmm. and and give that defensive line just a little bit of time. But I mean, it seems like that unit has some talent, um, and especially if they're able to put some size on, as you mentioned, it's a, it's an mm -hmm. issue. I think probably people that are not as familiar with TCU would not necessarily notice on the surface, but those closer to the program would notice. So um, it's very interesting, Dustin. What what do you have on the defense for Jamie? At safety, Jamie, they got a couple of transfers in. Is that right? Yeah, they and got uh, Mark Perry from Colorado is the main guy. Is there is there going to be some new faces in that in that safety spots? Is Perry going to crack the the two deep? What's it going to look like at the safety spot? You know, coming out of spring, I think there were two starting roles pretty solidified in that unit, and I would say Perry is one, and that Nook Bradford was the other. Uh, and then that third spot, we saw this rotation between Bud Clark and uh, Diarco Perkins McAllister uh, kind of rotating in, uh, both getting time with the ones and both playing with the twos. I don't know that it's fully settled yet, but those are the four names that I think are, are uh, folks need to pay attention to. I wouldn't be shocked if it ended up being Perry, Bradford, and uh, Perkins McAllister, um, but Bud Clark's going to be in there a lot as well. So we've heard about the entire defense we've mm -hmm. heard about the offense give me your season win-loss prediction jamie and then give me a little reasoning behind it if you don't mind all right i'm going to give you a floor and a ceiling if that's okay we love that game it. because looking at <laughs> looking at this schedule just with who they've got i'm going to pull it up really quick just so i i have it in front of me um south alabama think, on the road oklahoma know, state had to do that we've done years. yeah we've we don't that have game we don't have South Alabama on the road this year. We've got our, our non-conference are at Colorado. Oh, I uh, thought that was this year. Tarleton Sorry. and uh, and at uh, SMU on oh, September twenty fourth. So that one's going to be the one that all those boys over in Dallas have circled already. Uh, they've been fired up for that game ever since Dykes was rumored to come to TCU, and they started booing him as he walked across campus every day over there. But um, you know, looking at the schedule, Colorado, Tarleton, SMU is the non-conference. I would be pretty disappointed if TCU didn't go 3-0 there. So that's kind of your baseline. Then you get into Big 12 play, and you host Oklahoma, your first Big 12 game. That's a tough one because you really haven't had too much of a, like a big challenge leading into that game. I know there's a lot of turnover at OU, but the Frogs are like 1-8 
against Oklahoma since joining the Big 12. So that's kind of your big bugaboo, bugaboo team. Um, wins Kansas, uh, you know, you're going to take one of Tech, Texas, and Baylor every year just because that's kind of what TCU's done, if not two. Uh, I think they've won at least two of those three Texas swing games uh, every year for the last five years, even in the midst of kind of this downturn for the team. Uh, I think the floor is six and six. Right. So a game better than last year's record bowl eligible in Sonny's first season, he's coming in and the cupboard is just too full for him to go any less than six and six. I think at this point, especially when you're installing a new offense and a new defense, and you've got uh, as much talent as TCU perceivably has on both sides of the ball. I think the ceiling is somewhere around nine and three. That's if everything goes right. If a quarterback comes out and just dominates, they get the ball to Quentin Johnston, like they say they're going to, um, then I think there's a chance of somewhere around nine and three. My guess is that they're probably going to land somewhere around seven and five, eight and four would be really nice. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's actually right about where I have them is eight and four. I think they're going to be improved, um, mm-hmm. which is tough to say for a lot of people because of that new coach, there's some turnover, but you guys return so much production that if you can just tweak yeah. a couple of things and improve in some key areas, as we've mentioned, defensive line being one mm-hmm. offensive line being another, that, that would, to me, you know, shave a couple of points off some games you lost last year. And then, and then there's your eight wins. So I really like that prediction. I mean, Dustin, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so do I, I think, I think around seven is where I was kind of thinking the win total would be for them that, they're just returning. They're returning a lot of experience. You talked about the transfers that they've got coming in. I think the only thing, which is the main question, is kind of figuring out who's going to take over at that quarterback spot and yeah. what they do when they take over. But yeah, I love I love that breakdown. Yeah, you know, and and it's one of those things too. Where last year you're talking about missing a bowl game because of a targeting call against Texas late in the game. Right. And so I mean, even last year's iteration of TCU was really one or two plays away from from at least six and six. They returned the third most production from a year ago in the entire country. Uh, Now, whether that's good production or not is yet to be seen. But you've got those guys who have been through it before. They understand what's expected of them. um, And now they have a little bit more stability than they really ever did at all last season. Well, Jamie, this was phenomenal. Anything else you'd like to plug? on your way out obviously with frogs today if you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah absolutely you guys can find my work and if you if you remember melissa trebwasser as well from our frogs award days she and i are both over at frogstoday.com now you can check out all our work right there you can follow me on twitter at frog preacher uh, you can follow us at, on twitter at frogs today as well uh, and i've also got a podcast called talking frogs that you can find on frogs today and a segment that i actually just started yesterday called talk to the beard which is more of like a uh, fantastic like a outlandish hot sports opinion style thing i don't know oh, really what it is yet but out. we'll see i you talk trash like to, i talk trash you have right i talk it's really out of the box for me i talk trash to texas tech fans in the first one just because all the twitter uh, bitching and moaning that's happened hey, between the two fan bases this week this is a great a great question to ask what's that all about can you clue <laughs> us in sure so you oklahoma state this this is good for for your listenership oklahoma state also has a home uh, a game in fort worth this year just like yeah, texas sure. tech does Oklahoma State fans, because we like you and you're great, uh, uh, and your alumni base doesn't all live in DFW, uh, you guys have the opportunity to buy a single game ticket to your to your game in Fort Worth, to Carter. Uh, Texas Tech does not. 
their ticket, it can only be purchased as part of a mini plan uh, that includes oh. two other games. And Texas Tech fans were really upset about that really upset about that. So they took to Twitter. They started tweeting at uh, Jeremiah Donati, TCU's athletic director. Uh, and he responded to one of them uh, when they said, I don't know if you're aware, but people can't buy single game tickets to Texas Tech. And his response was quite aware. Thanks. You can expect it for hoops too. And that just set them on fire. They, they lost their minds. They could not handle it. Um, and then on top of all of that, you know, the announcement about them getting uh, their football players all getting 25 grand uh, this year, which is really cool super cool through the, through an NIL organization, uh, TCU's recruiting coordinator tweeted out, uh, that that was great, but you should also be concerned if you're a college player about how your school is preparing you to have your own brand independent of the school that you play for. Um, and said, is it easier to do that in a, in a big city with lots of opportunity, or is it easier to do that in the desert? And he tweeted a little cactus emoji with oh. it. So, and so tech fan, that's why you're going to see every single Texas tech fan from here until eternity has a little cactus emoji in their name. Uh, on Twitter now because they just they took that and and were super insulted by it uh, and, and kind of ran with it. So my, I did a little uh, video roast of Texas Tech fans this week for my first talk to the beard segment. Oh, that's so really funny. Of all, I mean, you said a lot of eye opening things tonight, but I did not know that that's what the cactus emoji was. None mm -hmm. of it makes sense. They're a finicky bunch out there in Lubbock. So, dude, uh, my mentions we can all have, relate. My mentions have just been spammed with cactus cacti i guess for the last five days now it's been pretty hilarious to see <laughs> that's fantastic well jamie awesome. it was great to have you sir again you can follow him at give us your handle one more time before i butcher it at frog preacher okay fantastic handle i thought that's what it was but i thought you might have <laughs> changed you. it at frog preacher great handle rolls off the tongue jamie thanks again for stopping by the podcast we really appreciate it and best of luck to the frogs this year hey my pleasure guys i'll see you down the road thanks, thanks jamie. jamie bye take care